Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. How's it going, everybody? The apologies for the late upload. It is Monday, January 25th, 2021, about 5.40 p.m. And it's time for this, the 102nd trip down the homeward path. My name is Adam, and I've got a few questions for you. First, are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? I mean, realistically speaking, I really, really really hope so given that you're about to listen to a podcast about it um is there something else in your life that's more important that takes precedence that takes pressure takes more of your focus than any magical pursuits you might have listen i'm a husband father of three work a full-time job whether it's a partner spouse children job career whatever I understand. I am right there with you. In spite of all that, like me, are you seeking improvement every step of the way, any way that you can, given limited time and or financial constraints? I mean, if that sounds like you, then call me a Nesh and Horn Beetle because I'm about to get a plus one, plus one counter from being around so much power. So before we dive in, let's get a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor is PureMTGO.com. PureMTGO.com is one of the largest repositories of magic content on the web. They have something for everyone, literally everyone. Popper Leagues, Top 1000 Mythic, it was in the intro. Commander stuff, theory stuff, limited stuff. Just, Just go check it out, just do it. And while you're on the web, you know, you can check out our parent network at constructedcriticism.com. Uh, speaking of a network that has something for nearly everyone, the only thing we don't have currently is a commander podcast. And that was something we talked about for a little while. I don't know where we're at on that, but whatever. You know, we've got everything from uh, one of the best limited masters the game has ever seen to dad jokes on this network. So I'm sure you can find something that tickles your fancy. And if you find that this is the show that does that for you, you can head over to patreon.com slash omerpathmtg and support me in a much more direct fashion. Uh, Everything I do is going to be free, but if you would like to have a more direct hand in helping steer the direction of the show, head over there, become a patron. With that out of the way, it's time to go into our first segment every week. Our first segment is Budget Spotlight, and this week like last week because shards and wedges are hard when it comes to finding cards that are all of the colors that are playable and cheap uh we're we're doing it again we're doing one card in each color of this week's shard of choice in this case we're talking naya so our first card is our red card it is Dragon Master Outcast. Dragon Master Outcast is a single red mana for a 1-1. One, one. 
At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control six or more lands, create a 5-5 dragon creature token with flying. So, first of all, this thing is the low, 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 astronomically low price of $2.50. And my take on the card is this thing is one of the best sideboard cards for grindy matchups I have ever used. Like, full stop, up there with the likes of Legion Warboss or Goblin Rabble Master. If the matchup is going to go long, this thing is stupid. Because it's one mana. Like, it's it's the card you board into when you're playing a blue-red X control deck. Or if you're splashing red into your blue-white or blue-black control deck. You board into this thing because now they've got to deal with it. And it only it's a threat that will dominate the game and it only costs you one mana. So it's really easy to defend. Unlike some of the other threats that might be lurking in your library. And not for nothing, but it also, because it's a one-drop, because it's a one-one, it also has random synergy with stuff. The likes of, uh, oh, what do we got? Revelark, Vesperlark, uh, Ranger of Eos, Knight Captain, or Ranger Captain of Eos, Proclamation of Rebirth, Call the Death Dweller, Claim, to, uh, claim uh, the heck is that card's name? Uh, Unearth you know, whatever the case may be, stuff that allows you to interact favorably with creatures that cost one or less or creatures that have power of one, you know, whatever the case may be. This thing just happens to work with those two. So if you're in the market for a one-mana one-one that's going to dominate a grindy matchup and you can either find ways to find it or live long enough to find it, sign yourself up. You can do a whole lot worse for $2.50. Next up is our green card. Our green card is Primal Might. Primal Might is an X and a green. Target creature gets plus X, plus X until end of turn. Then you may have it fight target creature and opponent controls. Come on. 50 cents. This thing is 50 cents. And it's an at face value, it ends games because it removes a blocker and adds a massive chunk of power to the table. Where Dragon Master Outcast is looking to win a, a clogged up board stall by just sitting there and doing stuff, Primal Might's looking to end a clogged up board stall by just removing a blocker and smashing your opponent in the face. This 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 card is known for graphic violence in some adult situations. All right, this thing is it just brings the fist down on an opponent's face. It also, not for nothing, has a random amount of synergy with anything that wants your creature to be high-powered. Say, for example, Ronus the Indomitable in Historic or Pioneer. Ronus needs you to have a creature with power 4 or greater in order to attack. Well, conveniently, you can Primal Might for X equals 3 the turn after you Ronus. So you can turn something as stupid as a little 1-1 insect token into a 4-4 so that Ronus can join the combat phase. Oh, and by the way, you also potentially remove a blocker. So you get to create a a combat phase that deals upwards of 10-12 damage. Just punch your opponent in the face real quick. And that's a lot of pressure to put on. So... Again, similar to Dragon Master Outcast, you can do a whole lot worse than Primal Might for 50 cents. 
And the last of our monocolored choices is the self-proclaimed This Girl Baneslayer Angel. Baneslayer Angel, three double white, buys you a 5-5 five five with flying, first strike, and lifelink, and protection from demons and dragons. And you can buy that for the grand price of $3. $3. Listen, I remember when this thing was $25 and I was lamenting playing standard. Because it was just so far and away the best creature in the format. I remember when it's retrain in Lyra Dawnbringer in Dominaria. At release was like $10 and I snapped up a bunch of them. They jumped to 25 a couple of weeks later and I, I traded off of them. And then they ended up settling around 12 So Baneslayer Angel with another reprint being... Notable differences between this and Lyra is Lyra is legendary, so Lyra has commander value, and Lyra doesn't have protection from demons and dragons. Instead, she makes your other angels bigger. But, Baneslayer is an absolute pinnacle of text for mana. 5-5, flying first strike lifelink for 5 mana. It just, like, what more do you want from an efficient rate card at 5 mana? Like, what do you want from your creature at five mana if its goal is to end the game by itself? Is to dominate the battlefield as a creature. It's really hard for me to find something. Like, this card is so good, it inspired a nickname for a class of creature in the Patrick Chapin next level deck building. Like, Chapin breaks down all your creatures into either Moldrifters or Baneslayers, where Moldrifters are creatures that provide their value the by resolving, and then if they never get to attack, you've gotten everything you want out of that creature, whereas Baneslayers are creatures that want to sit on the battlefield and be creatures. Like, their whole value is as a creature. Well, Baneslayer, there's a reason we call those Baneslayers. Because you're not going to get much more value out of a creature being a creature than you do out of Baneslayer Angel. Like, it's big enough to live through even looking at the, the Pioneer metagame. It lives through Chandra Torch of Defiance's minus... It's five converted mana costs, so it lives through Fatal Push, even with Revolt. Forces your opponent to spend more mana on a premier removal spell to get it off the table. It's just unreal how good this card is. And, not for nothing, the protection is randomly relevant, too. Like, it is really embarrassing when your opponent is leaning on Bogart and Hellkite. They just have to sit and stare at her and be sad. Like, sometimes your opponent wants to attack. They, they get, get a Swalbro dragon up. Glorybringer, whatever. Like, they can't Glorybringer her down. Because they can't attack and exert on her. And even then, the 4 damage wouldn't do anything, because she's a 5-5. Five five. But they can't do it anyway, because she has protection from dragons. So, like, it's randomly relevant sometimes. And then last but not least, this one's a little bit more of a commander-focused card. This one's not all three colors. Is Rien, Angel of Rebirth. She costs two, a green, a white, and a red. Or a red, a green, and a white. However you want me to phrase it. I can't remember how big she is. Uh, Rien, Angel of Rebirth. Other multicolored creatures you control get plus one, plus oh. 
And whenever a multicolored creature you control dies, you can return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. So, first and foremost, this card is a dollar. This is a box topper from M21. Only way to get it is by getting boxes. This thing is a dollar. One dollar! And it gets added to the pantheon of niche Naya commanders, but provides a fun alternative for those of us who love themselves the, the power gamer psychographic, whether you, whatever name you call it. Like, it's multicolored beatdown tribal. And that sounds like a good time. I remember doing that when it was in, when uh, Night of New Alara was in standard, and I was really excited to do it. So, doing that as a commander in Naya. Like, Night of New Alara gives a creature plus one, plus one for each of its colors. And we would play it in standard with the the blade cycle, the Jun Hack blade, Nihosh blade, so on and so forth. You can do that in Commander. You can play the you can play the Nihosh blade at least, and then you can play your as as many good three color cards as you can, two or two or more color cards as you can. And then you can play Rien on top of that, and Rien in conjunction with Knight of New Alara would be massive and potentially help Voltron people. You get cards like Gaia's Might, uh, Might of the Nephilim, so on and so forth. Like, there's lots of sweet stuff you can do if your goal is to just swole up and punch your opponent in the face. And Rien can be a really, really good place to start. So moving on, we go to our second segment, Brew of the Week. And I use Brew this week in kind of air quotes because realistically this is one of the best decks in the format in Pioneer. That deck being Naya Winota. In particular, when you're looking at Naya Winota, you are looking at what is essentially a combo aggro deck. I mean, you have the combo elements, you have the, the Naya, the, well, not the Naya, the, the mana creatures into a fast Winota plus some sort of a double creature enabler to give you multiple triggers right away. In particular, the most common configuration includes eight one mana creatures to jump you from one to three mana so that you can cast either Goblin Rabble Master or Legion War Boss on turn two get a token and then on turn three you can cast Winota and get another token at combat and get three triggers to find two copies of Angrath Marauders and kill your opponent out of nowhere. But there's a little bit of nuance to it. Like at its core you can you can go way in on the linear aspect of the deck or you can dial back a little bit and play a little bit more of a resource based game where the the Winota just kind of acts as a little bit of an over-the-top curve topper. You know, you, you're both... Simultaneously, you've got the never, the ever-present threat of just jamming Winota into whatever you floop into down their throat. You can even play Agent of Treachery if you want, if you want to relive the glory days of Standard. But Angras Marauders is going to end the game a whole lot faster. 
but it all depends on what kind of game you want to play. Like, flipping Rabble Master into Angrass Marauders is just utterly disgusting and will kill people. Now, you are at the mercy of your opponent's removal. It's a it's a never-ending struggle for Winota decks. Because you are so far in on the combo, you don't have a lot of room for interaction. You just don't. But that's but that's not to say you don't have any. You have you have flash creatures that you can play if you really want to. Uh, a creature like Selfless Spirit is a really interesting tool to use against control decks because it's one a non-human creature, so it gives you Winota triggers, and two, it can make everybody indestructible which is really valuable against Supreme Verdict decks, less valuable against Languish decks. And like, Languish is the card that's going to hurt you the most. It's not particularly close. Minus four, minus four, like, no amount of indestructible nonsense out of white or green is going to protect you there. But, like... You've got, you'll have games where you just curve out naturally. You turn one mana dork, turn two stupid three mana threat, turn three Winota, kill you, let's go to the next game. And you'll have other games where your opponent plays main deck Graph Digger's Cage or after sideboard they board into Graph Digger's Cage and you've got to find a way to beat them the right way. you got to find a way to beat them the fair way. And that's okay. But it's important to understand how you can. In particular, some of the old, you know, it's kind of a good way to take a lesson from standard Winota, in that you can play cards like Venerated Loxodon or uh, Embercleave after sideboarding. When you anticipate Graph Digger's Cage being part of the equation in the post-boarded games, you can board out Winota and Combo. And make them bring in a bunch of dead cards. Because you can just... Federated locks it on them. <laughs> you can just make the board even bigger. If you're in a mid-range mirror... Or if you're in a mid-range matchup, rather, that could be the difference. Opponents trying to play a game that you're not anymore. They're trying to stop you from playing a game you're not interested in. A card like Kenrith the Return King is also just a really valuable piece to have at your disposal. Not the least of which because in addition to being able to floop it off Winota, you can also just cast it. Like, it's just a five-drop dude. And a five-five and gives you something to do with your mana every turn. In particular, it's also kind of disgusting alongside the Winota because you can play the Winota give your creatures trample and haste attack with everybody flip the stuff you flip with Winota and give your creatures trample again and then it doesn't matter really how your opponent blocks like trample plus Angrath's marauders is kind of gross so that's kind of important to remember and then the life gain can randomly pull you back from the brink against aggro just because it's so much you flip into it off Winota, and then the next turn you've got access to potentially be able to do it twice. Ten life is a lot in your aggro matchups. 
especially when your opponent might have to consider blocking if they can't kill you. So, I mean, it can... The, the benefit to the deck is its relentlessly proactive nature. You are, like, one part big aggro, like big Naya aggro. You are the other part combo. And it, to me, it's a, just a really sweet deck to have access to. It's a lot cheaper than I thought it would be as long as you've got the lands available. Like, it's, it's hard for me to justify not having this. And I will be correcting that soon. So anyway, moving on to our main topic. Our main topic is the history or lore or what have you. I'm calling this the Power 5 or Greater Conference. Because Naya, as the second of the Shards of Alara we're going to cover, Naya was introduced in Shards of Alara 2008, fall, fall of 2008, going into the 2009 magic year. Uh, it's the locus of green, white, and red mana. It is notable in the lore for being a like vibrant, life-teeming jungle as opposed to last week's Jund, where Jund is very kind of predatory and barren and savage and vicious, and Naya is, like, there's some big stuff that lives there. There's predators, just like anywhere. But the predators help each other. The, the non-predators, the quote-unquote meek prey also helps each other. It's home of cats and beasts and elves and humans and you know, there's there's just a, a wide variety and array of different types of creatures that live on Naya. And notably, it is the birthplace of one Ajani Goldmane. And even outside the lore of the of the plane, when Naya is a playable color combination, it tends to be about big creatures. From a mechanical identity standpoint, I mean, you've got... It did not get a printed mechanic in uh, Shards of Alara. There was no keyword. Naya cards just care about creatures with power 5 or greater. Oh from something as innocuous as I can't remember the name of the card but it's like you can give it trample if you control a creature with power 5 or greater I can't remember the name of the card top of my head to a card like Spellbreaker Behemoth that can't be countered and makes it to where your creature spells with power 5 or greater can't be countered to creatures like Megalonoth later on in Conflux that's just a 6-6, six, six, just a big old 6-6, six, 6 six mana. If there's one thing Naya is known for, it's rate. Mana for power and toughness, Naya's got you covered. And that's a, that's a trend mechanically that breaks down in other sets where Naya is a supported color combination, either directly or even indirectly where there's, you know, bleed through between Gruul, Selesnya, and Boros in Ravnica sets. 
when you put them together to play a Naya aggro deck, you tend to lean towards size. You're playing it because you get the best bang for your best power and toughness bang for mana buck. As far as Commander goes, legend-wise, there's not really a prevailing theme, except that a lot of them have to do with creatures. Which is to say, like, uh, creatures like Mael the Anima, like Marath, Will of the Wild, want you to have creatures with a lot of power or a lot of creatures. Uh, but there's there's a group huggy one that like gives an opponent monarch and you can't get it this turn so you introduce monarch into the environment there's Yurel uh, the mist stalker that gives you Voltron there's Gehiji honored one that gives you kind of a pillow fort look or you can use it as the commander of a tokens deck like there's a wide array of different versions of Naya that you can build. There's no no real identity comes to mind from a commander perspective if you tell someone you're playing a Naya deck. In stark contrast to, if I say I'm playing a Jun deck, they know I'm going to be blowing stuff up and trying to get value. If I say I'm playing a Naya deck, they're like, okay, sure, but who's your commander? So, from a historical standpoint, or at least my history with Naya decks... From a competitive standpoint, the first interaction I ever saw with Naya in a competitive setting was Zoo in 2006, piloted by none other than Craig Jones at Pro Tour Honolulu. It was the first Pro Tour I ever got to watch. It was one of the most exciting moments ever. Gave us one of the best top deck moments in the history of Magic, that deck. It married efficient rate creatures like Curd 8, Isamaru Hound of Conda, Savannah Lions, Watch Wolf, and Burning Tree Shaman, which was just a little bit of a way to keep the opponent from going over the top of you. Because if they were activating too many abilities, they would get pinged to death. <sighs> Burning Tree Shaman, in conjunction with all the rest of this, you would frequently see them in aggro mirrors, sideboard into stuff like Rumbling Slum or Hunted Wumpus. Both of them being just really big four power or four mana creatures. Hunted Whoopus and Aggro Mirrors was particularly funny because it was rare that the opponent was going to be able to play something as big. So it was just a four drop six six that let your opponent drop a one a one mana two two that died to your shocks. And in conjunction with these efficient creatures, you played a lot of burn. Shock, volcanic hammer, lightning helix, flames of the blood hand if you were feeling frisky, char. You were just playing a lot of burn spells to use as removal to clear a path for your efficient attackers to get in. Or if your opponent stonewalled you or wiped the board one too many times, you could just throw them at your opponent's face until they died. There's nothing wrong with winning by throwing a bunch of burn spells at your opponent's head. Just ask anybody who has ever Genesis Ultimatum into Terror of the Peaks and beanstalk giant how that feels it, it wins just the same as attacking your opponent to death and oftentimes feels better so the second one I really experienced a lot of 
kind of has a twofold piece. So in Shards of Alara, we got the creature Wild Nacatl. Wild Nacatl being a one mana, one one. It's a green for a one one cat. And says if you control it gets plus one plus one if you control a plains and gets plus one plus one if you control a mountain. Now obviously being the potential for a one mana three three. That thing got a lot of press. But the deck that really set this thing off came the next year after uh, Lorwyn and Shadowmoor rotated from Standard. And we got huh, fetch lands to make Naya have like remotely passable mana. In particular, the format was defined by Jund because Jund had both good mana and really, really good threats and was really good at generating card advantage. It's the same Jund Cascade deck that I talked about in the last episode. Well, Worlds came along. Mike Flores decided he was done losing to Jund. He was done watching people lose to Jund. He didn't want to play Jund. He didn't want to send Jund into battle with anybody. But he wanted to have a deck that was similar, you know, that fought on a similar axis. Namely, playing good threats, efficient removal, and trying to generate card advantage. But unlike Jund, the Flores Naya deck was interested in both having creatures that were difficult to kill, that, that punched above their weight class, so to speak. Or creatures that would recover the card advantage you lost to John's signature cards. I.e., you would get blight, you know, they go on turn four, Bloodbraid Elf into Blightning. Well, on your turn four, you can jam your land, play Ranger of Eos, go get two one drops. And now you've just negated the card advantage they gained by playing their Blightning. So you would routinely, at that point, you would go get a Dragon Master Outcast or a Scoot Mob and a Wild Nacatl so that you had bodies. You had cards in your hand you could continue to play. You also had a removal spell that was better than anything in their deck in the form of Path to Exile, which would just take out anything. It would also take out Sprouting Thrynax without leaving behind the 3-1-1s making it more difficult for your opponent to create advantageous trades. You also got to play Bloodbraid Elf, just like they did. And Flores, in a, in a delicious fit of irony, dubbed the deck Naya Lightsaber. And this deck went on to win worlds in the hands of Andre Coimbra, and then got iterated upon several times over the next few months because... Jund continued to be a force in the metagame, and this deck continued to have a place, even though it was heavily designed as a metagame deck. And ultimately, the, the final, like, the next iteration was uh, developed by Tom Ross in, in anticipation of Pro Tour World Wake, and combined newly printed, at the time, overlooked two-mana creature Stoneforge Mystic 
with Behemoth Sledge, Basilisk Collar, and other equipment that were available in the format at the time. Nothing on the nothing on the order of Sword of Feast and Famine, mind you. But good equipment nonetheless. In the like Behemoth Sledge was a good equipment. And you married those to the already massive creatures in Naya, which meant opposing lightning bolts had a lot of trouble finding good targets. And it was really silly when your Bloodbraid Elf flipped into Stoneforge. Like, it was another way to recoup your card advantage lost from opposing Blightnings. It was a threat that would come down early and potentially invalidate some counter magic from your opponent. Because it would come down, you could go get the Sledge, you could flash in the Sledge with its ability later, and then equip and then attack, and your control opponent like doesn't get a window to counter your equipment. So, you know, top to bottom, this deck had a lot going for it. And then the sideboard package in Creature Mirrors, especially against Jund, of being able to board into Cunning Spark Mage alongside your Basilisk Collar. Uh, Cunning Spark Mage being a 3-drop, 0-1 haste creature that could tap and ping something for 1. But you would board into that because you could ping down half a Broodmate Dragon or you could ping down a Bloodbraid Elf. In the mirror, in the Naya mirror, you could ping down your opponent's uh, Baneslayer Angels. Which were, you know, on rate, just the best creature in the format. And they would just sit there on the board and make Broodmate Dragon stare at them. Because Broodmate Dragon attacks, you block half of it, gain five life to invalidate the other half. Doesn't really matter protection from dragons they can't block it back the other way because the only flyers in their deck were dragons so i mean this this was a deck that really it doesn't get the same amount of love that jun did from that format but it was equally important and then that summer the extended format got taken over by kind of a extended variation on the theme Notably, Wild Nakatl revolutionized the zoo archetype, bringing it back kind of down to normal. And I've done an episode on zoo before. But Ruben Zoo deserves a space here because it is the Nyaist of Nyadax. When you consider its designer, Brian Kibler loves him. Some big dumb creatures. And in particular, Kibler decided that his zoo deck wanted to play stuff that was difficult to kill with Lightning Bolt in a format with fetch lands. So he played mana creatures, wild Nakatl, and then nothing that was two mana or more died to Lightning Bolt. There were Knight of the Reliquaries, but if you're fetching twice, Knight of the Reliquaries a 4-4, doesn't die to Bolt. You had your own Baneslayer Angels. You had your own Lightning Helixes. You had your own Bolts. And then most importantly, the card that made the deck go was Punishing Fire alongside Grove of the Burn Willows in your mana base. Grove of the Burn Willows let you let you tap for a colorless or tap to, get, get, uh, tap to add a green or a red and your opponent gains one life. Punishing Fire for one and a red deals two damage to any target 
And then if it's in your graveyard when your opponent gains life, you can pay a red to return it to your hand. So Punishing Fire gave you an inevitability in Creature Mirrors because it could kill some of your opponent's creatures on curve, even if you were both playing Wild Nacodles. If you're on the play and they open Wild Nacodle, you could just kill it on turn two with Punishing Fire and it would be in the graveyard for later. It also snipe down opposing utility creatures. Snipe down Glistener Elf or forced your opponent to waste a pump spell to survive. It was just an absolute all-star. And the deck ended up coming to define extended because of it. And then last but not least. We have more recently Return to Ravnica. I believe it was Innistrad Return to Ravnica standard. We have Naya Blitz. Now this deck is kind of near and dear to my heart because I have since taken it, stripped the white out of it, although I'm looking to kind of put it back down the line. You strip the white out of or you, you add experiment one was kind of the, the core that made the deck go experiment one being a one, one for one that every time you played a creature with greater power or toughness, you would put a plus one plus one counter on experiment one. Well, when you played experiment one on turn one into a two power one drop on turn two, Or potentially, you know, one, you know, play your experiment one on turn one, play Burning Tree Emissary into three power or two drop, attack you for three, into haste creature on turn three, let's get let's get in there. Like you were applying massive amounts of pressure. You were bringing there's a reason this deck was called Blitz. And that's because it felt like you were getting blitzed over by a really aggressive team. We're not going to make the reference to the other thing. It felt like the opponent was bringing so much pressure and you had to find the answer as quickly as possible. You were all in on just getting on the table and smacking your opponent in the face. To the point that with the right draws, you could win the game as early as turn three or four. In a standard format where Thrag Tusk was legal, you could just win the game before they could cast it. That's kind of a big deal. You also had access to burn spells to help clear a path. You had access to global pump effects. You had access to some weird niche sideboard cards. And this thing just all around was really, 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 really good. Like, it was the kind of deck that was really frustrating to play against it is to that format what i would argue the gruel deck is to this format where like you know how you have to beat it you know what you have to do to beat it but in selling out to beat this you lose to other things so but that concludes kind of our brief history of nile When you want to smash people, 
reach for Naya. It's got a proven track record. I'm thinking about working on it in standard, although I just, I can't bring myself to figure out what the framework of the deck's going to look like. That might change with Kaldheim. And for those of you who don't know, Kaldheim releases Thursday, I believe, 28th. So get out there, get it down, you know, get your, get your update done, get on and start playing stuff. It's going to be fun. At least I think it will. So you got questions, you got comments, you got concerns, you can leave them down below in the comment section. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at HomewardPathMTG. You can find me on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. You can join the conversation in the Homeward Pathfinders Facebook group. Uh, you can, if you're a patron of the show, you have access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord. And don't forget to check out the Heasy Game Media Discord for the overarching... Uh, parent company of the entire like brand where we talk magic and other various interests all in one nice neat place so with that in mind i'm going to again save the dad jokes for another week letting them build up letting them stew a little bit marinate if you will those of you who know what i do for a living it'll make you laugh make you chuckle a little so i will leave you as is tradition, with parting words from Peter Capaldi. In dealing with these people, everybody's going through something right now. A lot of people frustrated, upset, furious, whatever. Just remember the words of wisdom from the 12th Doctor. Never be cruel. Never be cowardly. Remember, hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice and never fail to be kind so laugh hard cast big dumb creatures be kind and we'll catch you next week be safe everyone